This video is brought to you by Brilliant. Today, President Lula plans to reform the UN, a US spacecraft lands on the moon, and the EU imposes more sanctions on Russia. From TLDR News, this is your daily briefing for Friday the 23rd of February 2024. This year, Brazil takes the reins of the G20's rotating presidency, and President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva has a plan for the rest of the world. Brazil's vision for the world is a more inclusive and responsive international order. So, at the centre of Lula's G20 presidency will be the reform of the United Nations and other multilateral bodies. A recent G20 meeting in Rio de Janeiro saw the UK's Foreign Secretary David Cameron bash the Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov over the invasion of Ukraine. Brazil, chairing the meeting, responded by saying that the blame game needs to stop. Brazil tried to shift the conversation and G20's focus towards solutions, arguing the recent explosion of global conflicts as evidence of international institutions' paralysis. Now we've seen this with the multiple vetoes over ceasefire in Gaza, with UN Security Council members disagreeing over the past five months on the wording of the ceasefire proposal. However, Brazil's peacemaking image suffered due to a spat with Israel over President Lula's recent comparison of the suffering of Palestinians in Gaza to the Holocaust. But Brazil is planning a second G20 meeting in New York in September, which will focus on UN reform. UN states will be invited to thrash out a detailed plan. Now, reform of the UN has been on the table for over 30 years. Changes have been discussed, but consensus was never reached, mainly because the five permanent UN Security Council members don't really want to see their power diluted. Well, the five permanent members, which include Russia, the US, the UK, China and France, won't really like Brazil's plan. The plan is to make the UN more representative and to remove veto power of the five permanent members if an issue under debate directly affects them. And Lula has deemed the right of veto as outdated and obstructive. The UN sidelining in recent disputes, including Gaza and Ukraine, was a key discussion point. However, the success of Lula's proposals remains uncertain. As we've mentioned, permanent Security Council members have historically resisted reforms that could diminish their influence. For instance, Lord Cameron told the meeting that global institutions need to be reformed, but not completely upended. Brazil's foreign minister expressed his deep concern of over 170 locations in the world experiencing some form of conflict, arguing that a significant proportion of the $2 trillion spent annually on global military budgets should be redirected towards development aid programmes. There's more on the way, but be sure to subscribe and ring the bell to make the daily briefing part of your daily routine, or just search for us on your podcast app to listen along. It was announced last night that Houston-based Intuitive Machines successfully landed its Odysseus robot near the lunar South Pole, becoming the first ever commercial group to land a spacecraft on the moon. However, while they claim to be the reason that the US's half-century absence from the moon's surface has now ended, it was an all-smooth sailing. Before Odysseus landed, controllers had to sort out some faulty ranging lasers, which are used to calculate the altitude and velocity of their craft. This was fixed by switching to some experimental lasers from NASA, which were on board at the time. At the time of touchdown, there was no signal from the craft. Eventually, though, a communication link was made and touchdown was confirmed. The craft landed near a five-kilometer-high mountain known as Malpet, and is the southernmost point on the moon ever visited by a spacecraft, as it is on the short list of places that NASA is considering sending astronauts as part of its Artemis program. This is because there are some deep craters that could contain ice, which could be converted into drinkable water. Two years after Putin's invasion of Ukraine, the EU has introduced new sanctions on Russia. 
For the first time, they also target Chinese and Indian companies, accused of supporting Moscow's war effort. The new sanctions package, which is the EU's 13th, adds around 200 names to a list of sanctioned individuals who are banned from travelling to the EU, plus Russian weapons and defence companies which manufacture military equipment. It also includes three companies in mainland China and one in India, alongside businesses in Sri Lanka, Turkey, Thailand, Serbia and Kazakhstan, as the EU tries to crack down on Russia's use of third countries to evade existing curbs. The EU has faced growing criticism that its current sanctions aren't doing enough to halt the war, which has recently seen Russia capture the city of Avdivka in Donetsk. Ukraine is struggling with a shortage of Western-supplied ammunition, as well as frontline soldiers, according to reports. However, the president of the European Commission has said on X, we must keep degrading Putin's war machine. Egypt has built more than three kilometres of wall in the past week on its border with Gaza. The construction of this wall comes after Israel warned of its preparation for a ground offensive in Gaza's southern city of Rafah. Egypt has started boosting its security presence on its border with Gaza as a precautionary measure ahead of Israel's ground invasion. Satellite images have been monitoring the area for a while now, as increased activity in the area was spotted. In fact, the clearing of this area began at the start of February, but has expanded dramatically over the past week. Egypt, however, has not publicly acknowledged the construction and has denied that the area was being made to house Palestinian refugees. In fact, since the start of the war, the Egyptian government has consistently said it would not open its borders to refugees. More recently, Egypt warned Israel not to forcibly expel the more than one million displaced Palestinians from northern Gaza, seeking refuge in Rafah, into Egyptian territory. However, it seems that Egypt is making preparations for this likely scenario anyways. Whilst Egypt has said the area is being made into a logistics hub to receive aid for Gaza, aid workers and humanitarian experts on the ground have denied these claims. Mystery around this wall and the area remains, but with the imminence of Israel's Rafah offensive, we will likely find out soon. Finally today, we end with a clip from Jack's interview with Dr. Comfort Arrow, CEO of the International Crisis Group. Yesterday, mm. you were on a panel discussing the war in yeah. Sudan, mm. and one of the other panellists described it not as a forgotten crisis, mm. but as a willfully ignored crisis. Yeah, and complacency. Yeah, I was wondering well. if you yeah. agreed with mm. that assessment. And if you do, I'm curious why you think it is that some wars and conflicts attract so much attention and resources mm. while mm. others go ignored. Yeah, I mean, look, there's certain facts you can't um, obviously ignore. There, there's certain conflicts that do have um, significant international repercussions. Mm. Ukraine. Um, and the fallout was quite significant in terms of sanctions and what it meant for energy prices and and what it meant for food security, for example, in, in Africa as well. And we're seeing it in, in Gaza, mm -hmm. you know, trying to avert a regional escalation. You're seeing now what is happening on the Red Sea with the, Houth with the Houthis mm -hmm. as well. So there, there are some conflicts that do um, have an outsized um, implications. You can't ignore that. I wouldn't put Sudan in the category of the forgotten mm -hmm. conflicts. I would put as as a speaker yesterday said it, and, and by the way, it was the UNICEF, mm -hmm. um, um, the Children's Fund, who said it. And it was this, it, I would actually go one step further and say it's willful complacency mm -hmm. as well, because the international um, community championed the revolution of 2019. Um, a number of sort of regional and international actors were guarantors of trying to shape that process as well. Um, but the hard work of supporting um, the civilian regime um, to help it 
um, figure out what a peace dividend would be, especially at the time of the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, especially when there were a number of economic um, wins that needed to be made, especially when you had a real uh, sort of deep civilian um, um, civilian casualties and, and just a number of crises, both within Sudan and the region, that's when it was necessary for international actors to stay the course, mm. to play the long game, to be patient with it. Because what were you asking Sudan to do back in 2019? You were asking the civilians who had an uneven hand to work alongside the military, which had a higher hand. Mm -hmm. Now, the military had all the the, the le leverage in their hand, you know, the, the revenue of the country, the, yeah. the economics, the money was still in the hand. And the civilians were, were having to do the harder work of the peace dividends. And the international community never stayed the course. They got impatient. And of course, when you have another big conflict like you had in Ukraine, mm -hmm. inevitably um, bandwidth and capacity and the political ability to stay there becomes harder. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was necessarily that, that Sudan was knocked off. There's also a sense of which, you know, would we expend our political capital mm. here? But I wouldn't put all, we should also def be careful about what we define as the international community. There are many players in, in Sudan. There's mm -hmm. the, the region, you know, which wants to play, in, in, insists that it takes the lead, i.e. the Africa Union, the degree of complacency there, which is that mm. you don't stay there and do the hard work. There's a wider region which has a view i.e. The, the Red Sea, both on, on either side, um, the Gulf countries, they have a view. Mm -hmm. um, they all have their views on what stability ought to look like as yeah. well. And none of them did the hard work of defining and helping to shape Sudan out of that crisis as well. So I agree with what was said mm -hmm. yesterday. I'd, I'd even go be a little bit firmer yeah. on what has been lost um, as a result of that complacency as well. If you want to watch the full interview from the Munich Security Conference, the link is in the description below. A lot of stuff we talk about in our videos can often seem pretty complicated, especially when we dive deep into detailed data and economics. But there's a fun and easy way for you to learn more about these topics, which doesn't cost thousands of dollars or take years and years of studying. That's because Brilliant is the best way to learn maths, data, science and computer science interactively. And the fun thing is it doesn't take long to learn either. These complex topics are broken down into small and accessible chunks, designed around your busy schedule, whatever your skill level. That means if you spend just a few minutes a day, you can gain new knowledge over time in an actually fun way. As time goes on, you'll get used to that feeling of learning too, because this isn't just about sitting down and reading. Brilliant teaches you by doing, using active learning to teach you the principles of otherwise quite complex topics and ensuring you understand what's actually going on. So, whether you want to brush up on basic math skills or improve your employment prospects by learning about future technology or just have fun with coding, then you can check out everything that Brilliant has to offer for free for 30 days by clicking the link below. Plus, the first 200 of you that sign up will get 20% off Brilliant's premium annual subscription. Thanks for your support.